charge to the candidate and to the church means I have a delightful duty to encourage Kevin uh, from the scripture of what it means entering into the life of a pastor and uh, preaching a charge to the church uh, means I have the joyous honor to encourage this uh, gracious and uh, generous congregation to do uh, what it's always done, and that is taking care of their spiritual leaders. The Holy Spirit has made us aware of his presence, and so may he now feed us, convict us, shape us, and sustain us with his word. Tonight marks a joyous occasion, uh, not only in the life of Kevin, but as Mr. Al has mentioned, the life of this church. Cross Point, you have produced uh, many disciples here uh, under this bubble. Many have not only come to know the Lord, but have uh, been grown and raised in the Lord, and they are, are sent out. There are disciples from this place who are now uh, living in Europe, uh, who, who are now living in different parts of the United States, and it is a testimony to God's work in this congregation. So this is a joyous occasion for you. Certainly it's a joyous occasion for Kevin. God has called Kevin Whitfield to serve as an under-shepherd over God's people. This didn't just happen magically. This is part of God's design. Listen to how this happened. Not only did God ordain every one of Kevin's steps before he was born, Psalm 139 gives us a clear indication of that, but God ordained the process by which Kevin would one day be set apart for gospel ministry. God called him from among the people, just as Jesus was. He came from among the people to shepherd under Christ, God's people. God saw fit to bless a a couple, Charlie and Melinda Whitfield, years ago with a son. And God put them in a location where they had easy access to the gospel. And Kevin was part of that congregation. And he heard the gospel. Kevin responded the way God has designed it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now indwelt by Holy Spirit and living among God's people, Kevin relied on supernatural power to remain pure, to learn humility, to be fed by Scripture, and to enjoy life through the lens of a world that has been redeemed through Jesus Christ. God also ordained a campus ministry called Baptist Collegiate Ministry to be a vehicle where Kevin could cut his teeth on leadership on meeting various people, all sorts of different people, as you you said in in the council. And ultimately, Kevin was allowed to be a student leader at this organization. And it was during this season that Kevin would begin to spend time with a congregation known as Crosspoint. And it was during this time that Kevin would would, uh, begin an internship under uh, beginning under the ministry of Landon and then being influenced and invested by you who are here tonight. Kevin was hired as an intern, and albeit those who were investing in him were young, the spirit and the scripture are eternal. They're they're not young. They've been around uh, for a while. Pursuing God's call to seminary, investing in a local congregation, and living in spiritual submission to others, Kevin Whitfield has proven he is a disciple of Jesus, and he has been called out to serve the other disciples. Discipleship is the process that God uses to raise up his leaders. In a previous life, if you will, Kevin was the intern here at Crosspoint, and now he serves uh, functioning as the pastor of Crosspoint. So, Kevin, I don't know if this is a plug for, well, if you work hard, all your dreams will come true, or if it's, 
hey, if you stick around long enough, you'll be the last guy standing. And, uh, you know, but, well, Kevin, can you preach this Sunday? (laughs) We're not surprised that God would call a man like Kevin to be set apart for gospel ministry. We should be surprised at the lack of men who are called and set apart for gospel ministry. But I praise God for a congregation like, like this one who sees regular ordinations and who sees people regularly being called out by God. Many people will gather in a large auditorium because it's safe, it's non-threatening, everything's provided for you, the Bibles, the words, the music. But a small room of discipleship is where very few people will go. Large auditorium, safe, easy to kind of get lost. But go into a small room. The only supplies there are that which you bring. And if you've sat in a small room that's quiet, eventually you become very aware of your own presence. You become very aware of who you are and who you are not. And if someone else is in that room, they become very aware of who you are and who you are not. But it's in that small room or that closet, as Jesus says, is where our life is changed. It's where we experience the Father. We commune with Him. Kevin is not afraid to enter that small room and sit because he knows in that closet, in that small room, is where he communes with his Father. And when he comes out of that closet, he's been given a word. Kevin, I don't have a fancy sermon to deliver, but I've got some practical tips that flow from Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. This is a letter to a young pastor who's fresh in the trenches of ministry. And if you have your Bible, you turn there to 1 Timothy. And Kevin, this is really going to be just some some practical tips to you that everyone else can, can listen in on. And then we'll kind of talk about the responsibility of the church to its spiritual leaders. <clears throat> We're going to just basically survey First Timothy. Just taking a, a few things. And by few, I mean there's like 12, but it's going to be fast. <laughs> there's really not a lot to elaborate sometimes when it's practical. I think this is interesting that uh, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. This is, uh, we see Paul investing in the lives of people. All through his letters we see that, particularly at the end of Romans and at the end of Colossians. We see Paul giving this litany of people. These are all men who have gone with him to prison. Uh, These are men that Paul has invested into. Uh, Titus, remember what he tells Titus? Hey, Titus, enjoy Crete. Build a healthy church. Remember those guys are gluttons, uh, they're liars, and that's what they say about themselves. Well, practical tips to Timothy. I think it's interesting that one of the first things he says is uh, right here in in verse 3, right off the bat. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so you may command certain people not to teach other doctrine or or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Kevin, one of the first things you'll have to do in gospel ministry, and you've already experienced this just the last couple of years as you've been doing it, is that sometimes there's bad theology that's brought up, and you have to refute 
that. Sometimes uh, daddy's theology, mama's theology, grandma's theology it just isn't found in the pages of Scripture. So how do you do that to someone who has truly believed something to be the Word of God, who truly thinks cleanliness is next to godliness in the Scriptures, or who truly thinks there's a verse that says God helps those who help themselves? How do you deal with that? A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. These you have. These are gifts that God has given you. A pure heart. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. You'll make mistakes, but as my wife tells me, just make sure they're new ones. She'll always make mistakes. You may make mistakes, but your intention is never ill. You have a pure heart. You have good conscience, and you have sincere faith. So when you refute bad teaching, it must be on the basis of love. Second, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy because of this, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. The practical tip, never forget the grace of God. Never forget that your sin though it may not be as uh, outward as others, is just as vile and detestable to God as theirs. Never forget God's grace. And in tandem with God's grace, never forget His call. We see that in verse 18. Timothy, my child, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by them you may strongly engage in battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. Reflect on God's call. There are going to be days when you doubt yourself. It may be every week when you doubt yourself, but you may not doubt God's call on your life. When people send you encouraging notes, save them. I've got a file. The folder simply says, Nice things from nice people. And it, it's full. I think even the birthday cards I get from Crosspoint with just the sticker, your Crosspoint family, it's in that file. So on days when I feel nobody loves me, I pull that out. So, well, whoever put this sticker on this card loves me. Today, uh, in today's sermon, which I wish somebody would have shot me in the middle of it, it was one of those I just didn't feel like, oh my goodness. I got two uh, texts this afternoon, and one saying, if you ever doubt yourself, which I was, just know that if nobody else's family has been changed, ours has. That means a lot. And then suddenly I felt like, okay, Lord, we can conquer the world again. We can take Capitol Heights for your glory. This is keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So that by these instructions, you may strongly engage in battle. You're going to have to fight. On the days when you doubt yourself, that's good. Just don't doubt God. Let those days of those moments of doubt spur you towards reflections of God's call. And make that file. Nice things from nice people. Next, uh, we see in chapter 2, a practical tip. Just honor God's model for church life and for leadership. 
We see men and women of grace here. We see uh, the men who are, who are to be men who lift their holy hands in prayer. The men come together to pray in holiness. And the women, they dress themselves in a way that is attractive of Christ to others. You see the model of church health, men that have unity and peace, women who are more interested in drawing others to Christ than they are to themselves. You see God's leadership here in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, you see God's leadership in the church. It relies not so much on who people are, how much money they have, how well known they are in town. The purpose here is character. Know that God builds his church with men and women who reflect God's character. A church is only as healthy as the men who lead it. Bottom line. A church is only as healthy as the men who lead it. Remember God's design for church leadership. It's built on character. When you uh, begin to pastor, you're going to have a lot of people with different ideas of what it means to run a successful church. You're going to have people who have an idea of who needs to be a deacon and who need, or deaconess or who needs to be this or who needs to be that. You rely on the person's character. Not their reputation outside of church, because who knows what that is. They rely on their character. And if their character is God-honoring, then it doesn't matter if they're in church or out church. It's the kind of person we want leading. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and they demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. The practical tip, build a tradition that flows from Scripture, not from culture. Build a tradition that flows from Scripture, not from culture. When culture says, do it this way, you ask the question, does God say, do it that way? When culture says, you can't do it that way, you'll never grow a church like that. Ask the question, well, what's God's way? God says, this is what we need to do. Pretty soon, you and I are going to be down the road. And should God give us uh, the decades, we'll be 60, 70, 80 years old. And there's a man who's in his 70s at Grace. He asked me the other day if I knew the song, Neath the Old Olive Tree. Anybody? Yeah, okay, Uncle Earl, shaking his head, yep. I said, I've never heard of that. And he fell out of his chair. One day I'll be 70, and I'll ask somebody, hey, do you know that song, How Great Is Our God? What? You know, Chris Tomlin, who are you talking about? Let your tradition flow from Scripture, not from culture, and have the eyes now and the maturity now to see that it's easy to be into a rut of ministry and to build 
a tradition that's based on my personal preference or on my culture rather than God's design. Look at verse 7, chapter 4. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. The practical tip here, stay above the fray, man. Don't get caught up in these silly little gossip games that that can go on so easily uh, just with human nature. I'm talking about groups of pastors, when you're with groups of pastors even. Whether you're with church leaders or whether you're with congregation, stay above the fray. That directly flows into the next section here of chapter uh, 4, verse 12. This is one I believe that you really reflect. No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What this means, Kevin, is don't let the natural immaturity that comes with being 20-something be a distraction to others. All of us, young guys, we've got a propensity to be immature in areas. There are certain things that those who are older and more seasoned than we are, they know that there are some things we're going to do That's it's just because we're 20 and 30. But don't let that natural immaturity be a reason that they uh, don't look to God. Don't let that be a distraction as you are pointing them towards the greatness of God. That's what it means. No one should despise your youth. It doesn't mean, well, you're not to despise that I'm a 20-something-year-old. Deal with it. This is how I roll. That's not the point. It says, understand your propensity to be immature. Therefore, be an example to believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Verse 13. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. In a few moments, we'll have a time where um, you'll sit and we're going to come through. Those who are ordained, who are in this room, will pray over you. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. You preach the word of God to the people of God, to the glory of God. When you stand behind uh, a sacred desk, behind a pulpit, You preach the Christ of God to the glory of God. And don't back down. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. You are a gifted preacher. I've always believed that. And you've always fed me. And I've always been pointed towards the greatness of God when I sit under your preaching. This gift is not a gift that you've developed. It's a gift that has come from God. So in verse 15, practice these things be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all you've been preaching now for a number of weeks consecutively and your progress should be evident maybe not week to week more like the stock market you know but over time your growth is evident to all you preach the word of god to the people of god to the glory of god verse 15 and 16 The practical point there is don't mess it up. It's not about you. Practice them. Be committed to them. Verse 16, be conscientious about yourself and your teaching. 
Preserve in this things, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It is not about you. It is about him, and it is about them. It's not about you. Going into chapter 5, practical tip. How do you interact with, with the congregation? Express to them the same type of love that you express to your family. You treat the older men like they're your father, the older women as if they're your mother. The younger men, you treat them as brothers, and the younger women, you treat them as sisters. And when you begin to view people in, in the sort of familial way, as we should, it will affect how you treat them. It will affect how you preach to them, how you shepherd them, how you uh, minister to them. They won't become just numbers, but these are brothers, these are fathers, these are mothers, these are sisters. Love them as your family. Chapter 6, don't peddle the gospel. Verse 3, if anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited. He understands nothing but having a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy quarreling, slanders, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among men whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. They imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we've brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Don't peddle the gospel. Don't you dare treat the pastorate, and the preaching event as a means of making money, period. Do you ever do that? If you do, you're no better off than these guys whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. And that is not a way to honor the gift that has been put in you by God. Should the congregation choose to bless you, and we'll get to that part later, that's on them. But your motive for preaching and for pastoring is never for financial gain. We've got enough of that prosperity gospel going on in the world these days. It is a false gospel. And as Paul has told Timothy before, by keeping sound doctrine, you will protect both yourself and your hearers. Do not lead yourself into the depths of hell, and do not lead your hearers with you. Verse 11 and 12. You're going to have to pick some fights in the local church. You're going to have to pick some fights in ministry. But fight the right battle and choose the right pursuits. So what should you be pursuing? Now you, man of God, run from these things. What things? Well, that was the wanting to be rich, quick, desiring physical uh, material gain. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Kind of sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, right? So what battle should you fight? What hill should you die on? This one in verse 12. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to what you were called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you, to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which God will bring about in his own time. What hill do you fight on? The hill of faith. The hill of a good confession. That no matter what comes against you, you will not be accused of having made a bad confession of faith. That you will be known as a man who pursues first righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then anything else that comes behind that is a lanyard blessing from God. Choose the right pursuits. Fight the right battle. Let's look at verse 20. Chapter 6. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent, empty speech and contradictions from the, quote, knowledge that falsely bears that name. By professing it, some people have deviated from the faith. Okay, so here's, here's this admonition to guard what's been entrusted to you. So, so what do you do with what's been entrusted to you? Well, look at the next letter, chapter 2. In verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here's this admonition from Paul to Timothy. Guard the gospel. Guard what's been entrusted to you, right? Uh, uh, Avoid all the irreverent, empty speech and the contradictions, blah, blah, blah. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Guard the gospel. Now, how do you guard the gospel? In chapter two of, of, uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, we see the way you guard the gospel is you give it away. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and Crosspoint, I know you've, you've heard this before. So Paul telling, telling Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, what does it say? Commit these things to faithful men who will then be able to teach others. There's four generations of discipling going on right there. Paul to Timothy, entrust these things to faithful men who will then teach others. Four levels of disciple making. How do we guard the purity of the gospel? We give it away. Right? It's kind of upside down from what we think. If we want to guard something precious, we put it in our bank safety deposit box. But in God's economy, to guard the most precious thing on the earth, the good news of His Son Jesus... He doesn't want us to hide it. He wants us to give it away. Because one day you and I will be dead and gone. And there's someone coming behind us who is going to carry on our work. And whatever baton that we have handed to them, that's what they will hand to the next generation. Guard what's been entrusted by giving it away. Now, what's your motive? This is the final practical nugget to you. What's the motive of being set apart for the ministry? Why would anybody want to do this? Look at chapter 2, verse 8. 2 Timothy. Keep in mind Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. For this I suffer, to the point of being bound like a criminal. But God's message is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before God not to fight about words. This is in no way profitable, and it leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Why do you give yourself to this ministry? Yes, it's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of Christ. But how does he receive this glory? When others come to know him. For the, for the salvation of others. In verse 10. So that they may obtain salvation with eternal glory. And this salvation is in Christ. We preach for the glory of Christ and for the good of others. We shepherd to the glory of Christ and for the good of others. And with Paul, this call by God led him to a prison. Where is God's call going to take you? I don't know. You don't know. Katie, this man you've chosen to love for the rest of his life, where's the call of God going to take him? We don't know. But having officiated your wedding and having known you, Katie, before you knew Kevin, I know that this is a relationship that is truly honoring to Christ and desires to honor Christ. Remember the pure heart? There may be some mistakes, but their intention is, is good. You are one flesh. And Kevin, I know that you lay down your life for Katie. And Katie, I know that you respect your husband. And Kevin, there is a not only officiating your wedding, but having uh, had you as an intern for a couple of years, having had you as a resident at my home, having had you uh, play with my children, sit at the dinner table, discipline my children, which I appreciate, I admire that, <clears throat> having heard my little daughter have her crush on Mr. Kevin, Those things speak a lot to a father to hear his children show appreciation to somebody. But I wasn't surprised that they expressed their appreciation to you that way. Though you're younger than me, in many ways you're more mature. I look up to you. I admire the gift that God has put in you. And I want you to fan that flame. You are a humble man. You have a genuine desire to learn. And you have a desire to be great for the glory of God. Not to build your own kingdom, but to advance His kingdom. As a thought of ways to encourage you and to give a charge to a candidate, what do you tell somebody? Who's, in, who's already doing the ministry, and you're embarking on this lifetime of ministry. I've thought of 1 Timothy and how it speaks to me, those practical tips. One day, all of your work, the fight that you choose when, to fight on the hill of faith, all of your work, you're going to lay down 
at the foot of Christ, the chief shepherd, and you will say, for your glory. And what is the reward? The reward is that the chief shepherd will say, well done. And he will give you a crown of unfading glory. Why? What's the motive? The glory of Christ. How? Through the salvation of souls. Why do we preach? So that the church would be healthy. Why do we give ourselves to study? So that we know what in the world we're saying before people. So that we don't lead ourselves and our hearers astray. Guard the gospel, Kevin. Give it away in a manner that is honorable to God. They say ministry that costs nothing gains nothing. With your wife at your side, indeed, your partner, your helpmate, your military alliance is how the word is used in Genesis. It's also a description of God being our strong tower. Kevin and Katie Whitfield, you, you're going to go on in ministry, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, and the rest of us are going to be proud and be grateful to God to say, Lord, thank you for giving us an opportunity to be part of that. And trust these things to faithful men who will then teach others. And uh, <clears throat> there have been a lot of guys that I've had the opportunity to spend time with, Kevin. And uh, some of them have proven to be knuckleheads. And uh, others are guys like you. And so it's uh, guys like you and moments like these that make it worth the time I take to invest in others. And so I pray that I am making others proud, those who've invested into me. My prayer is that they're proud of God's work in my life. And I'm proud of God's work in your life. Paul will tell the Corinthians, I think in 1 Corinthians 5, you can have 10,000 instructors of Christ but not many fathers in the faith. I don't consider myself to be a father of yours in the faith, but um, I do appreciate how you have uh, submitted yourself to me, to Landon, to others, all for the sake of the gospel. Now, congregation, how do we respond? Well, First Thessalonians 5, and this will just be a couple of minutes. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve and thirteen. <clears throat> now we ask you, brothers, give recognition to those who labor, who work, who pour themselves out among you, and who lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So congregation, what do you do with a spiritual leader among you? You appreciate them. You admire them. Give recognition to those who labor among you. They lead you in the Lord. They admonish you. Week after week, Kevin faithfully gives himself to study of the word and then he sets the table so that you can feast upon the bread of life. 
He provides opportunity for you to come and for your thirst to be quenched by living water. He gives himself, he's, he's the ox that Paul talks about. Don't muzzle the ox. He's working during the week so that he can feed you and lead you. Appreciate him. Esteem him very highly in love because of his work. Does he know that you love him? Now these are rhetorical questions for a congregation like Crosspoint. Because this is a very gracious and loving congregation. I can speak on behalf of myself, Landon, Charlie, Kevin, that we have never felt unappreciated. We have never felt unloved. We have never felt that we were not esteemed. And this final admonition, be at peace among yourselves. A church is only as strong as the peace among the brethren. If there's no peace corporately, it's because there's no peace individually. You want to be a blessing to your spiritual leader? You want to be a blessing to the new pastor, whoever he may be, whenever he may come? Be at peace with one another. If you're not at peace now, you won't be at peace then. If you're not recognizing and esteeming the ones who serve over you now, you won't do it later. Continue in the good fight that you are engaged in. Continue in loving one another. Continue in loving your pastor and your pastors, David and Al. They fall into this category. They lead you. Esteem them. Give them recognition. Love them. And be at peace with one another so you make their job easier. The more fires these guys have to put out, the less work they can do in feeding you week to week. You know it. It's simple. As Kevin said in his ordination council, there's not a lot that he's learned recently as much as he has just been, re- been reminded. And someone asked John Wesley, who was a famous Bible teacher, missionary, preacher, songwriter, this all-around guy. He was teaching one day, and a student asked him a question about the Bible. And he said, I, I don't know the answer to that. And the students ask, well, doesn't it bother you, Dr. Wesley, what you don't know in the Bible? He says, what bothers me, young man, is what I do know in the Bible. So Crosspoint, thank you for loving your pastors. As as one of you, thank you. And continue to love Kevin and Mr. Al and Mr. David and T and whoever the new guy is going to be. Begin now asking God to prepare your heart for you to extend love to Him, though you don't know Him. Ask God to help you develop compassion and excitement and love for Him. It's been an honor to be with you tonight. It's been an honor to be back on this platform. And it is an honor for me uh, to be at Grace. Thank you for the vote that you did um, 40-something weeks ago. (laughs) Thanks, Micah.
That's why I asked him to come. I said, look, man, I'm going to say some at the end. Coffee's on me if you amen it. <clears throat> Kevin, it's an honor to be here to preach your charge. It's an honor to be among the congregation that has been so instrumental in shaping you into the man you are and who will be so instrumental in shaping you and Katie into the family that God desires you to be. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus be with you always. Kevin, I'll ask you to come and sit in this chair. And uh, all the men who or are ordained, uh, I'll ask you to come and line up right here. And uh, just individually, uh, you can put a hand on Kevin's shoulder and uh, you can whisper a prayer uh, to him. And uh, just when we're done, we'll have a, a time of prayer. So I'll ask those men to come forward now. <clears throat> Stephanie, would you mind playing something so that Silence isn't so awkward. <laughs> 